I'd invite you now to turn in your New Testaments to Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48. Matthew 5, 43 through 48. As we look at loving the difficult other or loving our enemies, strap in, (laughs) put your seatbelt on. This is the very Word of God, true and inerrant and inspired. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love only those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. One of the arch enemies of the faith in the last 10 years uh, is a best-selling author by the name of Christopher Hitchings. Christopher Hitchings um, was one of the, quote, new atheists who kind of repopularized atheism from the standpoint that if you're not an atheist, you're stupid. And particularly if you believe in God, you're stupid because of this. And if you believe in God, you're stupid. Just very antagonistic, very high volume. Richard Dawkins being one of the others who popularized this. He famous, Christopher Hitchings famously wrote the book, God is Not Great. That was his bestseller. And it was all kind of vitriolic. It was all 10 feet above contra- contradiction until, and it went on until Christopher Hitchings was discovered to have esophageal cancer. And the arch atheist went through a long and painful treatment and died. And did any Christians mourn the death of Christopher Hitchens? Because I suspect there were several who celebrated his death. Yes, there were. Dr. Francis Collin was one of them. Dr. Collin is one of the most declarated scientists, head of the Genome Project one of the most declarated scientists in his own right in our country and in the world, Uh, one of the most highly regarded physicians as well. Um, Dr. Francis Collin is currently and has been the director of the National Institutes of Health, and he loved Christopher Hitchens. In fact, he was antagonized by Hitchens, and he was wanting to be the answer to if you're a theist or particularly if you're a Christian, you're stupid. Well, here's Francis Collum, head of the Genome Project. He's not too stupid. We all know that. But he would go seek for Christopher Hitchens every time he was in town and they could get together. And when Christopher Hitchens came down with cancer, Francis Collin went to him and his family and offered them experimental treatments 
uh, which were the only hope. And Christopher Hitchings received the most advanced medical treatment from the goodwill of a believer. And yes, he did mourn deeply when Christopher Hitchings died. There's the prevailing cultural ethic today of what we might call acceptable hate. And that is so different from the way God would want us to be as his people. So let me, let me just say a name really slowly so that we can kind of all get the feeling of this in our bloodstream. Here's the name, Osama bin Laden. Of course, that is the mastermind of the 2001 September 11th attacks on the Twin Towers where two airliners were hijacked, slammed into the Twin Towers, brought the towers down, and 2,996 people on the ground died that day, were incinerated or crushed or both. And we knew we had an enemy. And he was an enemy of the the United States in the sense of of a hostile. But I remember personally seeing those videos from the Middle East when the Twin Towers went down and all the jumping and celebrating and shooting guns in the air, celebrating the towers going down. You remember that? But did you see the videos of the reaction here when Bin Laden was killed? Not a whole lot of difference. The only only difference I saw was when they weren't shooting guns in the air. Or what about that person who has hurt you? They took something from you. They hurt you. They damaged you in some way. You know who they are. Or they hurt your family. Is hate justified? The answer is no. Jesus tells us this this morning. And I'd like to look at it from two simple vantage points. I'd like to look at it from the vantage points of of what I call like humans do. And secondly, like Jesus does. And why? The first is like humans do. I I call it, I know that sounds funny, but for some reason I just remembered that song. Some of you that got your like first computers years ago and when Windows XP I think it was came out there was a song loaded there was a song loaded for free on the music player called Like Humans Do um, by a guy I had to look it up by the way by a guy named David Burney a, a very interesting song um, I listened to it because it's the only song that I had because uh, it was free and it was loaded in there and uh, it was, I researched it, it was, quote, a Martian's view of humanity. Now that's got to be interesting and what humans are really like and how we should be compassionate toward humans. Um, it's a really freaky sounding song but really not too bad if you want to listen to it. I suppose you can do that on YouTube or somewhere um, and not a bad message really. So I use that title, Like Humans Do. Let's, we, Jesus is saying, let's don't be like that. Let's don't live like humans do. We hate our enemies. That's what humans do. Hate is our default response to our enemies. 
It's the same in Jesus' day. In fact, in Jesus' day, that response to hate enemies was inculcated. The concrete was molded and dried at the hands of spiritual leaders. At the hands of the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, justifying the hatred of fellow human beings made in the image of God. Verse 43 of our text, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. There it is. Hey, go ahead. But I say unto you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And it's bad when preachers teach you to hate. And there are more than enough preachers that teach people to hate. You have heard it said, love your enemies and hate. Love your neighbors and hate your enemies. Well, let me tell you something. You have not heard that in the Word of God. There is a, a perfect kind of hatred of sin, etc., of Jesus. And we don't share that perfection. You did not hear that in the Word of God. No, that sentence came from an alteration. That sentence came from a very convenient tweaking of the Word of God. It is kind of drop and add. It is dropping the sentence, you shall love your neighbors as you love yourself. And let me tell you, next Sunday, if you want to come back, we're going to talk nothing. It's going to finish this series, but as yourself. What does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? Well, I'll just give you a hint right now. It raises the standard of love. It does not lower it. And so they conveniently edited out the words as yourself. You have heard it said, love your neighbor, omission, and hate your enemy. He added that. Look, it's easy to hate. We don't need a command in the Bible or anywhere else to hate. We are haters by nature. And I know there's all this talk about haters and hate speech. Forget it all for a minute. Let's not hide behind PC, political correctness. Let's not hide behind all these things that help us justify our hatred. Let it go. Ask yourself whether you hate rather than love, not whether hatred's okay and whether you're a hater and all this hater talk makes me sick. Well, it doesn't really matter. Jesus says this. We need a command to love our enemies is what we need. And here it is. Our enemies have hurt us. They have minimized us. They have betrayed us. They have antagonized us. They have attacked us. They have simply opposed us some, in some way. That's why emotionally and cognitively we have identified them as what? Enemies. It's not pleasant. No one said being a human being in a fallen world is going to be pleasant all the time. It's not pleasant because first our hearts have wrapped around and named an adversary or an enemy and then we hate them for it. And we nurse that hatred. We nurture, that we feed that hatred because there is today a culture of acceptable hate. You're supposed to love well and you're supposed to hate well. No. No. You know, the ancient world was no different, the world of Jesus' day. In fact, 
I don't want to say worse, but at least those, those dividing lines between Jew and Gentile, slave and free, ethnic hatred, just like our times, but, but very, I mean, just really, really nobody able to speak against any of it with any kind of authority, really, and nobody was until a carpenter from Nazareth stood up and said, enough. You've heard it said, love your enemy and love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. The ancient world, as one scholar said, was chasmed by hatreds. So is ours. It's like humans do. Secondly, is like Jesus does. Verse 44, but I say unto you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Alfred Plumer famously said, and you've probably heard this, good, good reform scholar said, to return evil for good is satanic. To return good for good is human, but to return good for evil is divine. It is supernatural. And that's what God does, doesn't it? Look at verse 45. For he makes the sun, his son, excuse me, his son, rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. You know, there's not like these little black clouds over people that don't know Jesus. He is good in one sense to all he has made. He is beneficent. The sun, God gives warmth to the unjust. God gives warmth of the sun and vitamin D to serial killers. Right? God reigns on the garden of people who steal millions of dollars on Wall Street from other people. He, he doesn't single them out for a kind of hatred in this sense. The rain, the, the sun, God gives produce stand tomatoes, fresh corn, and okra to the unjust. <laughs> And in this way, God is showing love to the unjust as well as the just. And God is saying, you want to be like a son of the, of, of, of the Most High? This is what it looks like. Jesus says, you want to know one of the ways you can spot someone who is a son of the Father? That person loves his enemies. Wow. Wow. That's supernatural. That is godlike. Verse 44. But I say unto you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, that you may be like or be sons of your Father who is in heaven. And he did not say, not hate, do not, just don't hate your enemies. Like refrain from from retaliation. I mean, Paul talks about that in Romans, right? Paul says, look, give place to wrath. 
Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. You don't worry about that. That's not what's being said here. This isn't, it is not enough to simply not hate your enemy and not retaliate against your enemy. As if somehow, if you've got that person frozen in emotional and mental hatred in your own head, but you're not doing anything wrong to that person, that it's okay. It's not okay. Because it is about the heart. And God looks on the heart. And out of the heart flows the issues of true life and who we really are. And, and that is bondage and that is not freedom. And it is not okay. Now, this is active. Jesus says, love your enemies. Wow! And that is rare indeed. And every one of us have enemies. Who? Little old me, I have an enemy? Yes, little old you have enemies. I'm not saying that, that somebody killed somebody in your family or something like that. But you have had people in opposition to you. You have had people speak ill of you. You have had people, all kind of things. If you're a human being, you have. Will your enemies drive a large portion of your heart? That's a, that's a great question to ask. See, this isn't just for the sake of an enemy. This is for the sake of being a true son of the Father. This is for the sake of what it means to walk with God and to be loved by God. And to not hold on to all this cancer and clutch it so tight. Jesus really turns the screw at this point. Verse 46. For if you love only those who love you, what reward is that? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greed, if you, you, if you, you just hobnob, if you... Say hello if you welcome, greet, welcome. Only those who do the same to you, your brothers. What more are you doing than anybody else? Even the Gentiles. Are not the Gentiles doing the same? And it's true, is it not? We tend to love only those people that love us or we think will love us. And and you see, that's not what the word love here is. The word love here doesn't mean a transaction. It doesn't mean a deal. It doesn't mean a bargain. I'll give you love if you give me love. You take away love or, or give me some signal you're not going to love me. I am snatching. I am pulling my love. Well, I want to tell you something. That's not love. Because love is agape. That's the Greek word and it means give. It doesn't mean bargain. I give love. And the whole point of it is it's a free gift. It's not dependent on what the other person does or will do. That's what makes love so hard. And then Jesus says, and and, and then Jesus says, if you love only those that, that greet you, meaning welcome you, in your circle, so to speak, what more are you doing than others? I mean, if you only love people in your, I know, look, it's supposed to, can I just tell you, if you're from the South, we're supposed to say it clique. C-L-I-Q-U-E is supposed to be click, clique, but we say, no, click, click. If you love only people in your clique, what is special about that? Answer, nothing. 
And, it, and it's not even agape. Just to love people in your clique is not agape. God says, if you would act like sons of the Most High, you must open up your love. There must not be these boundaries. There must not be these circles where there is not love outside the circle. I'm not saying you have to love everybody the same, like the way you love your wife and husband has to be the same as the, you love somebody, but there has to be love. There has to be gift. One scholar says we should reject cliques. See, I feel smart when I say it that way. We should reject cliques because cliques, what they do is reduce the circle of whom we will love to people who are just like me. Isn't that right? If you love only people who are easy to love, there's nothing so great about that. Everybody can do that, Jesus says. And then Jesus gives two examples, and it's just really bad. See, maybe we're not in that culture. We don't really get how bad this is. Um, the first is if you, you, know, you only love people that love you, you're like a tax collector. No, not a tax collector. Well, you know, you're no different than a tax collector, Jesus says. That is the worst insult you could give a Jewish person. I mean, it's worse than the IRS, if you can imagine that. It is. I mean, Rome had a certain amount of taxes due. IRS people deserve our respect. That was a joke. Um, but these people didn't deserve in, in uh, uh, professional respect because Rome had what it was due and these people went out and they got in your face and they taxed every axle of every cart and every this of every that and every, everything else. And when they got what Rome was due, Rome didn't care how much extra they got as long as Rome got what it wanted. And you know what? As much as they could shake out of you past what Rome wanted, threatening you with the might of Rome, that's what they got. And everybody knew they were cheating, and everybody knew they were using leverage. And you know the worst part is, they really liked to recruit Jewish people to go mano a mano with Jewish people so that it didn't look like Romans beating money out of Jews. And so to be a tax collector was to be a betrayer. It's the lowest form of humanity in, in Israel. Jesus says... Even tax collectors love people who love them. If you only love people that love you, and if you hate people that don't love you, congratulations. You love precisely like a tax collector. And then there's Gentiles. Well, Gentiles is very significant. That, that's, a, that's a whole category of people that Jews were taught in a good way and it became a bad way sometimes to say, we're Jews, they're Gentiles. Look how we are different from them. That's a whole categorical difference. And what God is saying is, if you only welcome people into your circle, your, your clique, you're no different from a Gentile. Gentiles do that. What's so special about you, God's people? tax collectors, Gentiles. He's saying we don't understand love and we misunderstand hate and whether hate is justified. One scholar says, love your enemy. This is the standard of Christianity. It is original to Christianity and peculiar to Christianity. No system meaning a religious system, but this system has required us to love our enemies. 
And no act of Christian charity is more difficult than loving our enemies. And none shows more the power of the grace of God than swinging for the fences. You want, you, you want, to, you want people to see that you're a son of the Most High? You want to be able to really tell? You see somebody that loves their enemies. That is the love of Jesus at work in their lives. It's so hard. Y'all do understand I, I struggle with this just like you, right? Everybody does. So what does that look like? Well, Jesus says, love, and then he adds, pray. And what's really hard about that is, see, love your enemy. Like maybe your enemy doesn't live in town, so you really can't d- go do something for them. But God is saying, no, no, it's about your heart. It's about your mindset toward your enemy. I don't care if they live halfway across the world. You ought to be praying for them. You ought to be embracing those people in your hearts. You've got to be kidding me. No. In Luke's gospel, the same kind of passage. I mean, it's a little bit different, but the same idea. Luke 6, 27. But Jesus says, but to you who are listening. Are you listening this morning? Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who mistreat you. And, 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 and you know, it is not just for our enemies. It is about our hearts. And we are not to let our enemies own our hearts. I promise you, nobody owns hearts proportionally as much as enemies. Because that's what you wake up thinking about. That's what something reminds you of. It's kind of like a bad smell is easier to remember than a good smell. You know what I'm talking about? Yes, you do. Just how much power do you want to give your enemies in your life? Just how much do you want your heart to just have the erosion of hate. And what's left we're going to love God with? You don't want that. I don't want that. I mean, there are people still, there are people who are dead, who are still exercising power in people's hearts. My father didn't love me. My mother didn't love me. They're dead. And they still own our hearts. Jesus says it doesn't have to be that way. No, love your enemies. Break the power of hate with love. Do good to them. Pray for them. That prayer we prayed early in the service, that's an ancient prayer. Grant us the spirit of gospel reconciliation. Grant us the power to forgive our enemies for every hurt and injury that we have borne. Give us grace to rise above meanness with love and meekness. We further ask you, O Lord, grant to our enemies true peace through the forgiveness of sins. What an incredible prayer. We ask that they not leave this life without saving faith in Christ, without the grace of God. And frankly, I get a little irritated. No, let me upgrade that to real irritated. With people who tend to think they know exactly how God is going to punish their enemies. That is nuts. Paul in Romans talks about the fact that that's not even our business. 
But I mean, you know, people, Christian people go as far as to say something to rough equivalent of this. One day, let me tell you, one day, anytime you hear somebody say one day like that, you know there's hatred of any. One day, that guy is going to step out in front of a Mack truck and meet the grill of a Mack truck. And that's going to be, yeah, that's what God is going to do. That guy one day, I mean, not literally maybe a Mack truck, but you know, that's the idea. Now, one day, if you're a believer, one day you very well might see one of those people get smashed by the grill of God's Mack truck of His judgment, and you're going to wish it was only a physical Mack truck. Give place to wrath. It's not your business to be God. It's not your business to nurture your hate. And devise schemes about other people's punishment. What are you, some diabolical superhero that knows what's supposed to happen to everybody? What are you, some fortune teller? No, you just hate. That's all it is, pure and simple. Praise Jesus. I say praise Jesus and in your heart you say I hate. Some people wouldn't know what to do if they let go of their hatred. Wouldn't know how to live without their hatred. No. I want you to think about all those Christians being beheaded in the Middle East. I'm not happy with that. In fact, I am thoroughly disgusted. I'm enraged by it. And it is a great temptation for me to hate those people. And to hate them not only for killing Christians by the hundreds but to put it on the internet while they're doing it. You know, I'm afraid we here in comfortable non-beheading land don't pray for those Christians. You need to write it down somewhere today that we're going to pray for our brothers and sisters under persecution. We're going to care for people who are under threat of death and under this pressure. We don't. I'm just telling you we don't. And we certainly don't pray for the terrorists. And we should. That's a game changer. Am I praying for the terrorists? is the second question to am I praying for the church, my brothers and sisters? Jesus says today to you, praying for the Christians is not enough. And look, if you hate, you need to understand something. It only perpetuates hate. If you hate... And I don't care who's on talk radio saying what. I don't care how high volume they are. I don't care how they suppose to be so authoritative. If you hate, you're teaching your children to hate. That's just what we need in the church of Jesus Christ. It's believers talking about the grace of God, teaching their children to hate. It makes it okay for your friends to hate. And when everybody is hating... It is considered okay. It is appropriate hatred. It is not 
It is not. Can you imagine someone praying for their enemies? Talk about being killed. As they're being killed. Can you imagine someone praying this sentence? Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. Can you imagine? That's Luke 23, 34. And you are God's enemy. And I'm God's enemy. Colossians 1.21 says, Once you were alienated from God and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Romans 5.10 says, For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, how much more now that we are reconciled will we be saved by His life? Jesus forgave His enemies while they were crucifying Him. The cross, y'all, is in the middle of hate. Don't you, don't you get it? The cross is slap dad in the middle of capital H, hate. It is love for enemies. He forgave you. And that's why we're supposed to forgive other people. That's why we're supposed to love our enemies. We're, we are to let his love become our love for others. I'm going to tell this story, even though I'm out of time, okay? Y'all promise to go real quickly upstairs to Sunday school. And y'all can, y'all can look at this up on YouTube. I watched it yesterday. Um, one of the famous court cases of the last two decades was in 2003, a guy named Gary Ridgway. Do y'all remember Gary Ridgway? Gary Ridgway was the the serial killer who admitted to killing more people than any other serial killer in history. It was in Washington State and other places. He was known as the Green River Killer. He He killed, and he admitted, he killed 48 young women. 48! Over a long period of time, most of whom were strangled to death in Washington State. It took him over 20 years to be caught and brought to justice. And during his trial, which you can see footage from his trial still to this day, he is just stone-faced. He's just, he is just stoic. Without any kind of a feeling, it looks like. And one by one, they allowed 48, the victim's family, to, to tell Gary Ridgway what they wanted to tell him face-to-face. It's unbelievable. You can YouTube it. Gary Ridgway, The Power of Forgiveness, if you, want to, if you want to look at it. And look, I'm not demeaning people who lost their daughter or their wife who are upset about that and angry about that. But one by one, the victim's loved ones stood up and they spoke from their hearts, you are an animal, one of them says. You're not even a human being. Another says, and it's on this YouTube video, I wish for you to have a long, long, suffering, cruel death. Another says, you are going to hell, and that is where you belong. Pretty much what you expect, right? And then, just right there in the middle of all this, this guy stands up. 
His name is Bob Robert or Bob Rule. He is the father of Linda Rule, who was 16 years old when she was savagely killed by Gary Ridgway. And Bob Rule stood up, you ought to watch it, and shocked the courtroom. Shocked Gary Ridgway, shocked the nation, really, because it's all over the papers. I want to quote to you what Bob Rule said, and we'll close. He stood up, and you can just kind of, I can see him in my mind because I just watched it again. He says, in a very meek voice, he says, Mr. Ridgway, there are people here that hate you. And look, I have daughters. I wept while I watched this. Mr. Ridgway, there are people here that hate you. I am not one of them. You have made it difficult to live up to what I believe. And that is what God says to do. And that is to forgive. He looks right at the guy. And he says, you are forgiven, sir. And he, Ridgway has been stone-faced the entire... Ridgway just breaks down in tears at that moment. This is unique to Christianity, this command. And the ability to do it is unique. A God alone can do this. You've heard it said, love your neighbors and hate your enemies. But I say to you and me, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Let's pray. Lord, it is supernatural. Forgive us for hating people. Sometimes we hate them in your name. Forgive us that we might forgive others. Help us just even in this famous prayer of St. Francis we're about to sing to be instruments of peace through love. In Jesus' name, amen.